I don't know if you guys, any of you guys are like movie people. Anybody a movie person? You like just catching up on the movies? And so last year, there was two movies that I have to admit I saw both of them. That there were the surprising turn of events. Like you're watching the movie and you just don't expect what's going to happen. Right? You ever see this kind of a movie? And so actually, Star Wars. Right? Like Star Wars. Like, has anybody not seen Star Wars, the new one? Anybody waiting to see it? Like, I'm not going to, I guess I won't, I won't divulge all the news. But I did not see that coming. Like, how could they take that lightsaber and stab him through the chest? I mean, I, I cried. I cried. I was so upset. I was, I'm not telling you who it was. I'm not going to, you know. Uh, uh, that was not what I was looking for. It was that surprising turn of event. The other movie that I saw that had a surprising turn of event, events was uh, anybody see the movie Inside Out, right? So like Inside Out, you're watching this little kid's movie, uh, this little girl, and she's got all these emotions running inside of her. And there's one emotion that's kind of like the star, joy. Yeah, that's the emotion we all want, just to be full of joy. And, and you watch this movie, and there's this, there's this emotion called sadness that's just kind of like the, the, the run of the litter, you know, the one that nobody wants. You know, kind of like, what's the purpose of, of sadness, and then towards the end of the movie, you begin to see how things fit together and how all of, of, of this little girl's joy comes from sadness. In fact, it highlights this, this one story where she was in a hockey game and she missed the goal and she was really sad. But that brought empathy from the people around her and that allowed them to come around her and love and support her. And that brought joy into her life. And that was one of those things where you're watching this movie and you don't understand but how, inter, how, how related joy and sadness really were. And it was just that surprising turn of events because, you know, did anybody cry during that movie? Yes, I know it. I know there's a few people. My wife, she was like, that was so awesome and sad and everything all together. And that's kind of, you know, you put a good story together and there's that surprising turn of events that you just don't really see coming. And so if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to open your Bible to Ruth chapter one. Uh, Ruth chapter one. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. We've got an usher in the back and he'll come and, and bring one of these up to you. We also have the words on the screen. Ruth chapter 1, we're going to see one of those surprising turn of events, one of those things that we did not really expect to see happen. If you uh, remember, we we started this series last week called Redeeming Ruth, and this is kind of going through the the book of Ruth together. There's only four chapters, so this will be a uh, a shorter series. And one of the things that we said was a main theme throughout this book is going to be redemption, about how we all need redemption. And in the book of Ruth, we can see lives that need redemption. Naomi needs redemption. Ruth needs redemption. You and I, we need redemption. There's redemption that we need in our lives. We need, we need relationships to be redeemed. We need, we need careers to be redeemed. We need lives to be redeemed. And that's what we're asking God to do. God, would you, would you redeem us? Would you redeem our lives? And last week, we were introduced to Naomi and Ruth, two of the main characters of the book, two of the three of them. And we saw that Naomi's husband, Elimelech, he was in uh, Bethlehem. And he decides, I'm going to lead my family to Moab. And so they go off to Moab. And, and his sons, they, they, they marry Moabite women. And if you remember the story, eventually Elimelech dies. And so you've got Naomi, and she's there with her sons and, and daughter-in-laws. And she's in a foreign country. And uh, then the sons die. 
And so then she's just left with her daughter-in-laws and, and there's all this brokenness and there's this depression, this devastation that happens in Naomi's life. And, and here's the turn of events. Here's the climax of chapter one of Ruth. Verse 16. This is, Neo, this is Ruth speaking. She says, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. And we look at that, and I want us to understand that is the, the climax of this entire chapter. This is the, the turning point. This is the, the, the key thing that could happen. And it's rather surprising. Because we have this young Moabite girl who's a pagan, who doesn't believe in the God of Israel, who doesn't believe in the one true God. And here she is, crossing that line, making a confession of faith, professing and saying, I am a Christian now. Your God, the God of Israel, is now my God. I'm worshiping that God. I'm leaving behind my pagan gods. And we look at the story, and this is why it's so surprising, because we just don't see it coming. We look at, you know, some of the interactions between Naomi and Ruth. And it's kind of like Naomi's trying to give, like, the stiff arm to Ruth. Like, get away from me. Go back to your homeland. Go back to your parents' house. Get away from me. We don't really see. Well, what would happen to the story that would cause Ruth to, to put her faith in God? We don't really see. I mean, there's no, like, this. there's no miraculous moment. There's no angel singing in the cloud. There's no miracle that occurs right in front of her that this would be why, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship God now because this great thing happened in my life. There's nothing like that. And so we have to look and try and say, man, what happened? What happened to this chapter that would cause Ruth to completely change her life and commit her life to God? Listen, today's Mother's Day. I would imagine this is what we want. This is what all moms want for their kids. All moms in here today would say, man, I want my kids to follow after God. I want my kids to be fully devoted to God. We look at the other relationships around us. We look at our friends. We look at our family. We look at the people around us. Man, we would say, this is what we want for the people around us. We want them to find God, to be able to, to pursue God and have God's presence in their lives. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of look backwards in this story and try and understand where, where does Ruth's faith come from? So we've titled this message, Redeeming uh, Relationships, Redeeming Relationships. And uh, before we jump in, I'm going to ask you just to join me in a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? God, it's just a great opportunity to talk about relationships today on, on Mother's Day of all days. And God, I pray that you would just um, allow your presence to rest on us, that you would open up your word to our hearts and our minds and help us to understand. And God, as we, we look at, at Ruth putting her faith in you, God, God, we, we want to learn, I mean, how, how do we do that? How do we share our faith? How do we, uh, how do we lead our, our, our children and our friends and family to come into a knowledge and a relationship with you, God? I think that's what we would all want for those people around us. So, God, I pray that you would help us to understand, God, where this faith comes from and how we, uh, as, as mothers and fathers and friends, uh, can, can see our, our, the people around us come to faith in you, God. Pray that you would just uh, help us to lean in now, put the distractions aside, and hear your word today. God, we love you and praise you, and we ask this in your name. Amen. So, again, the background of this, Elimelech, he's, he's the man. And he, there's a famine in the land of Bethlehem. There's a famine in Israel. And so he decides, 
you know what? I'm going to go to a place that seems a little bit better. I'm going to go to Moab. I'm going to take my wife and my kids to Moab. And even though God's people were not supposed to go to Moab, it was a pagan land. They decide, hey, we're going to go down to Moab. We're going to see, you know, there's better jobs. There's more food out there. We're going to go and, and just try and make our lives better in Moab. And they get to Moab and remember what happens. Elimelech dies. Naomi's left with her two daughter-in-laws and her two sons. And, and what happens next is the two, son and two sons, they die as well. And so you've got Naomi in this pagan land. She's got no church. She's got no Christian friends. She's all alone with her daughter-in-laws. And she's in this, this, this foreign land called Moab. And, and, and this was, uh, uh, this we read last week in, in, in verse 6 and 7. It says, then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard that the, the, in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Naomi makes a decision. She makes a decision, I'm going to return to God's people. I'm going to return to the presence of God. And she decides, I'm going to bring my daughter-in-laws with me. And so uh, the three girls, they start this trip. And, and of course, when you've got a bunch of girls in a setting, you know there's going to be a conversation, right? You know they're going to stop and have a conversation. Now, see, if you look at this book, there's, there's 85 verses in this book. 55 of those verses are, are, are dialogue, okay? And you'll say, well, well, why is there so much dialogue in this book? Well, again, we've got three main characters, and two of them are women. I mean, it's just natural. Like, there's going to be dialogue. In fact, I remember someone said to me, hey, hey, you know, I've got this problem. My wife, she always wants to talk. Like, she just wants to talk and talk and talk. I'm like, it's biblical, dude. It's biblical. Talk to her. Like, that's just the way God, God wired women. All right. So, the three ladies, they set out on the trip to go to return to the presence of God, to go to Bethlehem. They stop and have a conversation. And Naomi tries to send her daughter-in-laws away. She says in verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt kindly with... As, as, uh, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant you that you may find each of you in the house of your... Uh, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them and they lifted up their voices and wept. She said, hey, I want you to go home. I want you to go back to your parents' house. Hopefully you can find another husband. You go on. But the, lady, the, the, the daughter-in-law, she said, no, no, we're not going to do that. They say in verse 10, no, we will return with you to your people. So here we've got these, these ladies who have experienced such hardship. They're going through a time of, of suffering. Naomi has lost her husband and her two sons. And these, these daughter-in-laws of hers, they've lost their, their husbands. They have no kids. And so they're going through this time of, of hardship, of, of, of suffering. And they gather around each other. And they say, hey, we're going to lean on one another. We're going to walk through life together. We're going to go to Bethlehem together. And see, sometimes when we're going through hardships and we're going through suffering, the temptation we have is to say, I'm going to go through it alone. I'm going to again cutting people off and say, you know, I'm just going to go through this on my own and I'm going to deal with it and, and it caused everybody else to go away and to leave me alone. But here, Ruth and Orpah, they refused to leave Naomi alone. They said, no, you're not going to go through this alone. We're going to go through this together. We need each other. 
See, this is because one of the things that we have to understand about the way that we're created is life is all about relationships. This is the way that God created us. We are, 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 are bent towards relationships. Relationships with God, relationship with other people. We're create, created this way. We have this need for community, for, for people. And this, this doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or an introvert. Like extroverts, they just need more people. Introverts, they need a fewer number of people, but they need people around them. That's the way that God has wired all of us is that we need this idea of community. And so what we do typically through life is we run in packs. We run in in herds of people. We gather together and say, these are my people, and I'm going to go through a life with them. This is why we do things like we celebrate Mother's Day. It's because God created us in community. We have this desire to to, to have people around us. This is why we celebrate Father's Day. This is why we, we do these things. The question for us will be this, though. Which relationships will you and I pursue? The question is, which relationships will you and I pursue? I mean, I think about the advice my mom gave me when I was a child, when I was a kid. And I don't know if your mom ever gave you this advice, but I remember my mom saying this. She said, she said, uh, you will determine your life by the people you run with. You will determine your life by the people you run with. Who are the people that you spend time with? Because those people will influence your life. Those people will begin to, to shape the way you live, shape the way you think, shape, shape the way that you act. In fact, why don't you do this? If you have a pen right now, do me a favor. Just write down like your five closest friends. The five people you spend close. If you've got your phone out, do a mental note. Think about the five closest people to you. Okay, and you start thinking through those things. Start thinking through the five closest people. There's a the reason I'm asking this is there's a, there's a guy by the name of Jim, Jim Rohn who died a couple years ago. But he, was a, he was a motivational speaker and an entrepreneur. And he, he had this saying that, that said, you are the average of your five closest friends. You start thinking about that list. Those five people that are closest to you. You look at financially. You're probably the average of that. You're probably in the middle somewhere. You think about those five people closest to you. You look at their marriages. Your marriage, if they're married, is probably somewhere in the middle of that. And then you look at their faith. Your faith is probably somewhere in the middle of that. This is why it's important that we choose the right people that we invest time in with our relationships. Because let, let me tell you, you show me your friends and I'll show you what your future is going to look like. Because this is the way it, plays, it plays out. These people have influence over us, whether we realize it or not. And so we have to be strategic with the relationships that we decide to pursue. And see, I love this because here on Mother's Day, like, like this is perfect because you've got Ruth and Orpah. You've got these two daughter-in-laws who are looking up at Naomi. They're looking up at Naomi and saying, man, she is an older, mature woman. She's a, she's a Christian. And they're saying something's different about her. Something is different about this Naomi. She doesn't have it all together. I mean, obviously, Naomi has her issues but, but Ruth and Orpah are looking at Naomi and saying something is different about her. Something, uh, something in her makes me feel drawn to her where I want to learn and I want to, I want, I want to gain from her. And I, want to, I want her influence in my life. And they decide, hey, Naomi, we want to follow you. We want to follow you. And I love the picture because this is what a mom does. A mom just has this ability to... to, to, to have something inside of her that, that draws us to follow our, our parents. 
whether mom is an example, whether mom's a teacher, whether mom's a cheerleader, whether mom's an encourager, whether mom's a, a, a taxi driver, driving kids all around all the places they go. This is what moms do. And there's something about that from a mom that, that just draws their kids in. And so you've got these two younger women who are looking at this older woman and saying, hey, we want your influence in our life. We want you to help us and to lead us and to guide us. Listen, I know there's someone here today who said, man, I don't have a mom. Listen, find one. You don't have to have a mom, but you can have that figure. You can have that lady, that influence over your life. Somebody who's a little bit older. Somebody who's a little bit more mature. Somebody who is a little bit more mature in their faith. And you can say, hey, would you have an influence on my life? I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you. I want to see how you live life because I want your influence over me. This is what Ruth and Orpah are saying. They're saying, Naomi, there's something about you that I want some of that in my life. So I'm going to spend time with you and I want to learn from you and grow from you. Listen, this is what we're supposed to do as Christians in life. Like when you look at your marriage, you're like, man, I, I don't even know why we got married. Like, I don't, but, but here we are married. Listen, you don't have a strong marriage. Find somebody who does. Find somebody who has a strong marriage that you respect and say, hey, what do you do? How do you make it work? Like, how do you, how do you deal with marriage? Because I want to learn, because I want to experience some of that. Like, you look at your kids and you're like, man, my kids are like demon possessed. They're like running all over the place. You look at somebody else and their kids are like nice and sitting there and you're like, What's the secret? Teach me. Share with me. Share with me how I can raise my kids where they look like they actually love each other and they get along and they're, 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 they're good kids. Like, like help me learn. This is, this is what Ruth and Orpah are doing. They're saying, hey, Naomi, we want to learn from you. You're mature. You're, you, 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 you've got a strong faith. We want your influence on our lives. Listen, this is what you and I have to do. Listen, it might be a mother-like figure. Might be an older brother's figure, a big sister figure. But we need people in our lives who are a few steps ahead of us that can have that kind of influence. Because remember, the people around you are going to be, going to shape who you are. So we've got to get some maturity around us. We've got to get some people that we look up to and say, hey, would you help shape me and influence me and mold me into something greater? And we're looking at this text, and I'm thinking, what is it about Naomi? What is it that, that's so compelling about Naomi? I just, I'm having a hard time seeing it. Like, what, what, what is so amazing about Naomi that would cause Ruth to leave her pagan religion behind and to pursue after the one true God? And I took some time really wrestling with this this week. Like, where does this come from? And it's one of these things, I think we have to uh, look at it from a different perspective. Okay, as, as, as Christians, we have, we have a single purpose for why we exist on this earth. Okay, summarize a couple different ways throughout scripture. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says, we are light of the world. Saying that, 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 that we're to, not to build ourselves up, but we're to do good works to glorify our Father in heaven so other people would come to know who Jesus is. Okay, Matthew 28 says that our job as Christians is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all of God's commands. Okay, this is what we're called to do. This is our, this is our purpose for living. 
Okay? Restoration Church, we've summarized that statement to say we exist to know Christ personally and then to make Christ known, which is to share Christ with those around us. This is, this is our purpose. This is why we are here. The question is, how do we actually do that? How do, how do we live that out? So this past week was National Day of Prayer uh, on, on Thursday. And I had the opportunity to go to a, a pastor's prayer breakfast uh, early Thursday morning. And one of, the, one of the pastors shared this story. He said that there was a guy that they had met. And this guy um, said, I was completely closed, closed off to Christianity. You know, Christianity was, to me, it was all those guys that hold up signs that say, you're, you're, you know, uh, you're a wrong person because you sinned. He said, Christianity to me was all the people who bang on my door in the middle of the day when I'm trying to get things done and say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. Christianity was all those people who said, you have to live this way and follow these rules to be a Christian. And he said, I was turned off to that my entire life. And then this past spring, we had the flooding. This guy lived down by White Hollow. And we had the flooding. And his, his property was flooded. And there was a, there was a group of, of churches who came together and said, hey, let's go do something about the, the flooding situation. And they came to this man's house and they said, hey, we just want to love you. Can we help you uh, fix things? And they spent hours uh, and days at this man's property dealing with the flooding, protecting the house, protecting the livestock and the other things. And they invested in a relationship with this man. And this man, at the end of the day, said, man, Something is different about you people. Something is different about you people. This is not what I thought Christianity was all about. I thought Christianity was all those people that said, hey, if you say a bad word, you're, you're a bad guy. He said, this is something completely different. It's like you cared about me as a person. It's like there was a, a relationship between us. And he said, man, I want to learn more about your God. I want to learn more about who Christ is that would compel a group of people who don't know me to come and serve on my property. This guy heard the gospel, became a Christian. And so as I'm looking at Naomi, and I'm thinking, what makes Naomi so compelling for, for, that would cause Ruth to put her faith in him, faith in, faith in God? And I'm not, sure, I'm not sure where Naomi's heart was when she left Bethlehem. But I would say that she is prioritizing relationships with a gospel intentionality. I would say that, that's what the difference I see in Naomi is that she was prioritizing relationships with a gospel intentionality. Look with me back at this text. Remember what happened when that hardship came? Those hardships came. Everybody died. She's left alone. She's bitter. She's depressed. She's struggling. And she makes a decision. I'm going to return to Bethlehem. It says, verse 6, she said, then she arose. And who did she take with her? Her daughter-in-laws. She took them with her. And remember, when it says return, this doesn't just mean to a physical place. This was a, a symbol of the heart. This was her heart turning back to God. She brought her daughter-in-laws with her as she is repenting before God. <coughs> She's having this, this spiritual experience and she says, hey, come along with me. I'm going to go to church. I want you to come with me. I want you to, to come and be a part of this. And this is repentance. Naomi is essentially saying, God, I did things my own way. I was following the wisdom of the world. But now, God, I'm going to return to you. And she's doing all of this with her daughter-in-laws 
right next to her. One of the things I just felt like we had to point out is, is, is when you look at this text, we missed this last week, but I think it's so important to see. Do you notice her motivation for returning to God? Her motivation for returning to God in verse 6 was, uh, she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Like sometimes we have this idea, like we repent when God judges us. Like, we've sinned, so God's going to come and spank us. And when God spanks us, okay, then I'll go back to God. Then I'll start living back for God. But that's not the way it works. She hears about God's blessing. She hears about God's mercy. And she turns back to God in that way. Same way in the story of the prodigal son. Many of us know the story of the prodigal son. He doesn't want to do things God's way, so he doesn't want to do things his father's way. So he takes his inheritance and he goes and he wastes his all, gets to the point where he's at the, the, the very lowest point of life that you can be. He's, he's working with the pigs and he's looking at the slop that the pigs eat. Say, man, these pigs eat better than, than, than me. I've got to make a change. And if you remember Luke chapter 15, verse 17, he returned to his dad because there were, what he said was, there was more than enough food in my father's house. See, the key to, to true and genuine repentance isn't judgment. It's the fact that God is merciful. That God has grace and blessing available to those who, who live with him. So here you see Naomi, she's going to go through this process of turning back to God. And she doesn't do it alone. She says, hey girls, come with me. Come with me. I'm going to go back to the presence of God. I'm going to live for him again. I'm going to go back to God's people. This is gospel intentionality. She is showing these these ladies what it looks like to follow after God. She's showing showing what it means to be sensitive to God's leading in our lives. To obey God's command. To acknowledge our sinfulness. to, to, To seek forgiveness. See, one of the things that that would be true of Christianity today is we don't repent very well. It's like we don't know how to repent. Like we struggle, like learning, like, like what do I do with my junk? How do I make this right between me and God? And I think the problem is, like how many, how many people have actually had someone say, hey, let me show you what it looks like to, to repent. Let me repent and be the example so you learn what it looks like to repent. This, this, is, what, this is what Naomi's doing. She's saying, hey, hey, we, 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 we sin." But this is what it looks like to turn back to God. Listen, this is something that all of us need to understand. Parents, man, the most powerful thing you can do is teach your kids how to repent. And that means that when you've wronged your kids, you go and repent before them. Say, this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to acknowledge that I was wrong. To say, I'm sorry. To seek forgiveness. This is a discipleship opportunity. This is gospel intentionality in our homes and in our families and in our lives. Gospel intentionality. And look at, look at the dialogue. Look at the dialogue that she has with these two daughter-in-laws. Naomi has. Verse, not, verse 8. Naomi said to the girls, Go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And the Lord grant that you may find rest each of you in the house of her husband. Go home. Find a husband. Go. She says in verse, verse 11, Turn back, my daughters. Will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait until they are grown? 
Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. See, I look at that text and I kind of say, well, that doesn't seem like there's a gospel intentionality. That kind of seems like she's trying to say, hey, girls, go away from me. Leave me alone. Like, don't come and follow me. Don't go to Bethlehem with me. Go back to Moab and, and, and pursue the wisdom of the world. Go find a husband. Because if you remember, part of our background last week, like, women had it hard in those days. It was hard for them to find a job, hard for them to provide for themselves. And if you were a widow, that was especially difficult. Like, there was no way for you to provide for yourself if you didn't have a husband or, or, or kids, sons who would provide for you. And so she's, it kind of seems like this is the wisdom of the world. Hey, go find a husband. Go back to your house. You're still young enough. You can have a husband. You can have kids. Go restart your life. And I had to think about this text a little bit differently, though. Because on one hand, it looks like she's stiff-arming and saying, hey, get away from me. But on the other hand, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing her say, come with me to Bethlehem. Because if you pursue a relationship with God, let me tell you, nothing is going to be guaranteed. This is something she's learned herself. She's trying to, to help her daughter-in-laws understand what is involved in yielding to the grace of God, of becoming a Christian. Nothing will be guaranteed except God's grace will be sufficient for all of your needs. She's learned this process. She's been there. Remember, she, she, she came seeking the wisdom of the world. Hey, I'm going to go down to Moab, and we're going to be able to find a job, and we're going to be able to have plenty of food, and we're going to be good and taken care of. And all that was stripped away, and now she's coming back to Bethlehem with nothing. And there's no promises of what the future holds for her. And it's kind of like this. It's kind of like she's saying to her daughter-in-laws, Hey, girls, hey, if you come with me to Bethlehem, there's no promise for the future. There's no promise of a husband. There's no promise of a job. There's no promise of food. There's no promise of a house. Consider the cost of what it means to really want to pursue my God. Here's where the rubber meets the road for Orpah and Ruth. They're both still young. They're both of marrying age. They could both still have, both still have children. And they have two options in front of them. They can choose to pursue God plus nothing in Bethlehem. You could go after God and there's no other assurances. You may not find a husband. You may not have a house. You may not have a job. You may have nothing else other than God and Bethlehem. Or you could choose all the wisdom of the world. Everything that the world has to offer minus God in Moab. Listen, we all have those same options. We could have God and no assurances of the rest of this life. Or we can pursue everything else in this life without God. We all have those choice, choices. And Orpah makes her choice. It says in verse 14 that they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, returned, but Ruth clung to her. Orpah feels more secure. And the potential for everything minus God and Moab. She chooses the things that are familiar, the things that are temporal, things that are visible. She says, you know what? I'd rather put my trust in that I would be able to find a husband in Moab who will provide for me, who will take care of me till I'm old, instead of trying to follow the wisdom of God. 
She chooses the wisdom of the world over the wisdom of God. But Ruth makes a decision as well. Ruth makes a decision. Naomi once again offers for Ruth to follow over Orpah. She says in verse 15, See, your sister has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. This was our surprising turn of events. This was the crown jewel of this entire chapter. This young pagan girl says, you know what? I don't care that I'm going to have to step, possibly step away from finding a husband. I don't care what I have to give up. I want to follow after the one true God. Naomi, I want your God to be my God. I want your people to be my people. This is her conversion experience. This is where Ruth becomes a new creation. The words that she says that your people should be my people and your God shall be my God are, are sound very similar to the words that God had expressed to Moses many years ago. Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 26, God said, I will be among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. See, when Naomi or, or when Ruth says, your people shall be my people and, my God sh- and your God shall be my God, she is putting an extreme amount of faith in God. There's no promise of a husband. There's no promise of a home. There's no promise of friends. There's no promise of family. There's no job. There's no food. She just has complete trust that God will take care of her. She says, God, I'm just going to follow you. I'm going to do what I know to be the right thing. And God, I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of all of those other details. Listen, how opposite do many of us live than that? Most of us most of us are living for what we can see. We make decisions based off, off, off the temporary. We make decisions based off, well, this is best for me. I'm going to stay in Moab, and I'm going to pursue a good job in Moab, and I'm going to be there with my family, and hopefully find a husband. And, and, and we, 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 we make decisions based off the temporal, based off the things that we can see, the things that this world has to offer. And here is Ruth saying, you know what? I'm going to live by faith. There's no guarantee of anything other than the grace of God. But I'm going to trust that God's going to provide for me, that God will take care of me. She has trust in the character of God that he will provide. She says in verse 17, she says, And where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so, uh, do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. See, what we're seeing here is you're seeing the power of the second family. This, the power of the second family. This is a little bit borrowed from the New Testament. New Testament says that we have two families. You have a family by birth. This is your mom and your dad and your brothers and sisters. But if you're a Christian, you have a second family by new birth. You have the family that is knit by blood. And then you also have this family that is knit by the blood of Christ. The second family, this is the church. This is our brothers and sisters in Christ. And listen, there are some in here today, and you've got, you've got a strong first family. 
and a strong second family. And God has, has blessed you in that way, and you are doubly blessed. And, and today's a day to celebrate that. Thank mom and dad. Spend that time thinking, mom, hey, we have a great family. Thank you so much. But the reality is there are some in here today, and they don't have a great first family. Maybe they don't have a first family at all. Maybe they're, they're, they're disassociated with them. And so what happens is the second family has to step in. The second family, the church, often becomes more precious than that first family. And I know there are some in here who have experienced this, where you've had these broken relationships in your first family, and it's been the second family that you turn to and that you trust. So you're thinking, of, man, if I were to die, man, it's my second family that I want to raise my kids Man, when I start going through hardships and trials and, and, and suffering, man, it's the second family that I run to and I seek comfort and encouragement and wisdom from, not my first family. Man, this is the goal that we see at Restoration Church. We're not a perfect church. Absolutely, you're not a perfect church. But our goal is that we would be genuine, that you would find a second family right here at Restoration Church. And, and you know where this is possible for Ruth and Naomi? It's possible because Naomi had this gospel intentionality. She brought her daughter-in-laws and said, this is what it looks like for me to repent before God. She brought her daughter-in-laws and said, hey, listen, if you're going to follow after Christ, it's different than the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of God, listen, you have the grace of God and that's all you have promised and guaranteed. There's no guarantee of husband. There's no guarantee of everything else. And Ruth looks at this and says, you know what? I want that. I want that, God. I'm going to put my faith in him to do right by him. And not by the wisdom of this world, but the wisdom of God. Listen, everything we do here, Restoration Church, is with this idea of gospel intentionality. That we want to put people in, in relationships where there is a gospel intentionality. That's why we do life groups. That's why, we, that's why we do groups where we can gather together and not just gather together and, and have fun and have a meal together. We want to gather together with a gospel intentionality to, to strive to live our faith out with each other, to learn what it looks like for us to follow Jesus. That's why we're going to do these things called uh, dinner groups coming up this summer. Why do we do dinner groups? It's because we want to put people in relationship together with a gospel intentionality. In fact, we look at all the volunteer opportunities here at Restoration Church. You know, like we've got, we've got, my wife's at nursery today. And listen, we don't just do nursery so you have a place to drop your kids off. We do nursery with gospel intentionality. We do everything here with gospel intentionality because we want relationships to be built. We want people to come in and hear about the God who saves, about the God who forgives, about the God who redeems. In fact, I begin to think about just, just my life. And this is, this is what we want to see in everybody's life. I coach baseball. I coach Little League Baseball, Mike and I. Nine and ten-year-old kids. Some of these kids, you know, they throw the ball here and the ball goes that way. It's just the way it works at this age level. Well, why do you, why do, you do that? I do it with the gospel intentionality. Because God has put me as a Christian in a place where I've got, I've got eight or nine families around us. And I have this opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to bless them. I'm going to encourage them. And I'm going to look for an opportunity to, to share about who Jesus is, about the grace of God in my life and the grace of God that is available for those lives. 
That's why we do these things. And we, for us to accomplish our mission of knowing Christ and making Christ known. Man, there's different ways to do it. And listen, you want to go stand on a street corner, street corner holding a sign saying you're a sinner. Man, go for it. But I think it's a much more effective that we pursue relationships with the gospel intentionality. And we say, I'm going to look at the people around us. I'm going to look at the people around me. And say, man, I'm going to love this person. I'm going to get to know this person with a gospel intentionality that I can show what it looks like to follow after Christ. That I can have the opportunity to share about the God who saves, but the God who wants to redeem lives. The God who wants to redeem marriages. The God who wants to redeem people. This is gospel intentionality. This is what we're supposed to do as Christians. Last thing this morning before we close. We asked that question last week, why? We looked at Naomi's story. We looked at all the hardships she went through. And we said, why? Like, why, God? Like, why would you have all this bad stuff happen to Naomi? Like, like why, why did her husband have to die? And why did her sons have to die? Why, God? Listen. These things in Naomi's life happened because the story of Naomi is really about a story about Ruth. This is the way it works. The story of Naomi is really about the story of Ruth. The story of Naomi is about God orchestrating the events to bring Ruth to faith in him. Why God? Because of Ruth. One word, one name, one person. Ruth's conversion was a part of the explanation for, for Naomi's pain. And for us, it's, sometimes it's easier to think, well, we're going through all this hardship. We're going through all this struggle. We're having all these bad things happen to us. It's because we're, we're in sin. And, and we can look and say, Naomi, you were in sin. You should have been in Moab. And all these bad things are happening to you because of that. Listen, don't take that excuse. Understand that God is sovereign. That God has a purpose and a reason behind everything that we are doing. And God's ultimate purpose is not to punish Ruth for her spiritual failure of abandoning God. Rather, his ultimate purpose is redemption. To bring about the redemption of Ruth. Ruth's life is transformed because of what what Naomi went through. And we start thinking about our suffering. We start thinking about our hardships. Man, God has a purpose for whatever it is you're going through right now. That hardship, that weight, that burden, God has a purpose to it. Listen, don't, wait, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your burden. Don't wallow in, in your self-pity. Don't, don't self-destruct because you have uh, all this hard stuff going on. Don't, don't be phony. Don't put on Facebook, everything's really good. I'm, I'm loving life. But inside, you're really this, this bitter, angry person and having all these negative things inside. Because listen, what if you embrace your hardship? What if you said, God has a purpose to redeem those around me through how you suffer, through how you deal with the hard things? What if God wants to bring salvation and faith and transform those people around you because of how you suffer? Because how you deal with the hard stuff. Listen, don't waste your suffering. Don't waste your hardship. Don't blow up. 
Don't give up. Because God will bring redemption through that. God will bring redemption to you. Redemption to people around you. And I look at Naomi. She could have blown up. She could have said, God, this sucks. I hate this. I'm not going to follow after you. No. She said, God, I'm going to come back to you. And because of that, Ruth followed her. Ruth put her faith in God. Ruth had her life transformed. And Ruth's family line will bring about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came as the ransom to pay the sins for every one of us. Because Naomi suffered well. Because she looked to Jesus. She didn't waste her suffering. Whatever it is you're going through, listen, God can and will redeem you. God can and will redeem it. If you put your faith in him and trust him. Would you pray with me? God, just thank you for your grace on us today. Thank you for, God, what you do through relationships. God, I thank you that you do redeem us through our relationships. God, you put people in our lives who are there to encourage us, to share with us, to, to teach us, to guide us. God, I thank you for just this, even the story of, of Naomi, of how, God, you took something so difficult and hard for Naomi, and God, you brought redemption through it. You, you, you brought uh, the miracle of the end of a life that was transformed. A life that was transformed that affects generations and generations to come. That affects every one of us in here today. Because that life would end up bringing about the life of Jesus Christ. Who paid the debt for our sins so we could be forgiven. God, I pray that you would just speak to us today. God, you know exactly what it is we need to hear with here today. God, as we think about the fact that we, life is about relationships. God, you, you, you know the friends that we put down. God, some of us need to decide, hey, we're going to choose some different people. We're going to be intentional with the relationships that we allow us to spend the most time with. That we would choose and say, man, I'm going to choose the right people to be around me. And if I'm struggling through life, and if I'm going through these hardships, that I'm going to seek people out who would speak life to me who would bring redemption, who would show me a new way, that I would learn and that I would grow. I think, God, you would do something with me. God, I pray that you would just speak to us, those in here today who are looking and saying, man, man, the people around me are not good for me. God, I pray that today they would have the faith to say, man, I'm going I'm I'm to break off those relationships. I'm going to bring in new relationships that might be the second family, that might be a mentor, that might be a, a, a mother-like figure that I can look up to and learn from. But that today they would pursue that. Today they would say, I'm done with these negative relationships. God, I pray for those of you here today, for all of us, that we would understand what it looks like for us to live with gospel intentionality. That God, you've given every one of us in here a purpose. That we are to be your witnesses throughout the entire world. So God, I pray that we would live with that gospel intentionality in our workplace, in our family, in our neighborhood, 
and the things we do for fun, that we would pursue that gospel intentionality and look for the opportunity to draw people into a relationship with you. And God, I pray for those who are looking at that decision. Man, God plus nothing in Bethlehem or all that this world has to offer without God. God, I pray that you help them to place their faith in you, to sacrifice all these things that this world has to offer for something better, for life in you. But God, you do bring tremendous blessing and redemption and restoration in our lives. So God, I pray for that person in here today who's on that line saying, God, God, I want to I trust you, but I'm having a hard time letting this go. That today, God, they would set those things aside. That they'd let go the wisdom of this world and pursue the wisdom of God. That they would put their faith in you. Say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior. Jesus, I trust you with my life. Jesus, I trust you with my future. I trust you with my salvation. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your presence with us today. As we have the opportunity right now to respond to your word, as we sing these next two songs, God, I pray that you would help us just to, just to continue this reflection. That, God, we'd wrestle with these things in our hearts. God, for those that need to spend some time in prayer today, God, I pray that they would use this time just to close their eyes and just cry out to you today. Say, God, I need you. God, I need your presence. God, I need your touch right here and right now. God, I pray that you would just meet with us now and we'd respond how we need to, whether that be through praise and worship, joining the worship team, or whether that be just sitting in our seat praying, and whether you'd like the pastor to pray for you. Whatever it is, God, I just pray that you help us to respond accordingly today. God, we thank you for who you are and meeting us here now. Jesus, in your holy and precious name, amen.